Hey everybody, welcome to Something Pretty, your favorite Deadwood podcast, where we, Wes and Clay, with our wiles of bullshitters, may have a useless faint to occupy yourselves. How are you, Clay? I'm good. Um, I think most podcasts can be described as the wiles of bullshitters. Yeah, that's the that's the uh, well, we're going to get into it, I suppose. But I was thinking that this this episode, what this one is about, when we're about to talk about Leviathan smiles. I think it's pronounced Leviathan. It's not Leviathan. Which is, which is either a Queensryche album or possibly one of the lesser Hellraiser stories. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> that's Leviathan frowns as a frowny face. <laughs> what was a frowny face emoji? Uh, do you know the the story of Leviathan? Uh, not specifically. No, I he's, had to look he's it up. A yeah. big, a big guy or big sea serpent creature. Yeah, yeah, big sea serpent. I guess, but man, in the Old Testament. I could talk for a while about my likes and dislikes about sea serpents. Because mm-hmm. I think I might have said this before. I think the sea serpent, number one on my list of most feared cryptid, like Bigfoot, whatever. Couldn't, don't really care. Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> Are you talking about like fighting them or running into them or something like just that? Just like they... the prospect that they exist. Okay, right. You know, like Bigfoot, whatever. But like the Loch Ness Monster has always been terrifying to me like that yes. i think it's because of the water aspect of it you know yeah you can't you see them coming you could see bigfoot you, running down the mountain at you i think and try to try to run yeah, away best you can or walking in that weird like swagger seven, 70s cartoon <laughs> underground cartoon gate that he has yeah but like i think it's because you have no idea how big anything below your feet in the water is at any given time yeah yeah and uh i i both um am happy that leviathan type things don't exist but also a little bit a little bit bummed out i mean i guess they technically do exist depending on how you look at it but right do you consider a whale to be one or something like that or a a plesiosaur or something because that's what nessie is nessie's just a plesiosaur that got stuck in the ocean for got stuck in the lake for a million years people plesiosaur yes yeah doing stuff doing stuff for everybody always (laughs) showing up for pictures yeah always ready for always willing for a picture yeah no, it's the uh, it's the thing swimming up at you like a bullet while you're sitting in the water is the scariest yeah. part. But you can only see so far down, and that's the that's the scariest shot in Jaws when that that like overhead shot where the where the one guy's like treading water, yeah, and just, just like up out of the blackness, it just yep. kind of comes up and grabs him. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. This is Leviathan smiles. We've gotten our biblical references and cryptid references out of the way. And now we're going to play the music for the Something Pretty podcast. We're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to break it down. You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty. This is Leviathan Smiles. It's episode eight of Deadwood's third season, directed by Ed Bianchi, written by Kem Nunn. In this one, called Leviathan Smiles, Merrick distributes the pioneer containing Bullock's letter. Wyatt and Morgan Earp arrive by stage, claiming to have been ambushed by road agents. Steve is kicked in the head while shoeing a horse. Was he shoeing a horse or de-shoeing a horse? Anyway. De-shoeing. De-shoeing, I yeah. I don't, I don't know if it goes both ways there. Wyatt Earp's ambush story... Uh, 
withers under Swinogen's questions. My opinion, which may owe to vanity, your tale's full of shit. Hearst visits the Pioneer office and warns Merrick of coming events. Aunt Lou begs Hearst to send someone for Odell to deliver a lucky brooch. Brooch or brooch? I don't know. What's with the vocabulary words today? Tolliver wants to move the Earps against Bullock with Hearst's okay. Wyatt emerges a winner from the Bella Union just as Morgan Earp lands in a dispute with Burns over a horror's services. A half dozen riders come to uh, come down the thoroughfare, torches aloft. Hearst's muscle has arrived. You buying those goddamn tools or not? I wouldn't have chosen not meaning to buy. As opposed to leaving chosen goods piled in the middle of the fucking store for every other piece of business to be conducted over and around. It's customary to stand by till the transaction's finished. I was called elsewhere. Elsewhere, meaning the gym. You wouldn't be doubting my brother's word. Pay for the tools and remove them, and I'll cease to doubt your ability to do so. So are we just done with Odell? Is that like it? No, no. Okay. No. I just, knowing the way this show works, I was like, I well, if we never see him again, I guess I won't be surprised. Uh, I, not spoiling, I don't know if we see him again. He he is not, he's not done. His story is not done, but I don't know if okay. we actually physically see him again. So gotcha. we'll get to that. Um, yeah, this is Leviathan Smiles. I, I don't know if you remember a couple Leviathan smile. A couple episodes ago, I have to keep saying all this SEO, all this AI audio search stuff. I have to say the episode title. Is that a thing? Is that a thing now? Audio? It is. Yeah. SEO? Really? Yes. There's a um, there's a podcast service I tried out. It's called Swell AI, and it uses Chat GPT as like its backbone. But what it does is you upload audio. And it spits out like a sort of transcript for you and a summary and a bunch of like social media crap that you could put out there and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I never wanted to pay for it. It's extremely expensive for what it does. And I don't think it does a very good job at this point. But um, the thing I noticed is that if you don't say it, it has a very hard time identifying what the podcast name is in the title of the episode that you're oh. you're doing because it just has no basis for it. Like I did the Star Trek one and the Star Trek podcast doesn't have a real name and it could not identify the the name of the podcast effectively. Right. So what if you try to like subvert what it does, Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, and just say things <laughs> that, like, lemonade. To, to to get more people Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, <laughs> and get more ears on your podcast, even if that's not necessarily what your show's crypto, about. Taylor Swift, crypto, crypto, no, I, I, I imagine that's that's down the line. People find a way to gamify all that shit. Uh, but our our confusion with the Leviathan Smiles album, black metal album, is definitely going to happen at some <laughs> point down the line. Is it Travis? I am. Is it Travis Kelsey? I'm not following that stuff. The uh, he, what, he's like the tight the end or something. Player? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why she likes him. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. What are they? They're making. I, I haven't watched an NFL game in a long time, just because the kids. But I guess they were making out at the football game or something, and that's big news. It really is one of those like old, old Hollywood celebrity kind of things yeah. where it's like, if you just show up at my game, that's really going to do a lot for me in my my career. <laughs> but did they you, seem to be. I don't know. They seem to be into each other. Who's to say? Did you see the video I posted of Bruce Springsteen with his halftime show with the guacamole? Line. No, I saw I saw it, but I didn't I didn't watch it. <laughs> I've watched that five hundred times today. It's so goddamn funny. It's eight <laughs> seconds of pure pure genius. 
I'll put a maybe I'll put a link into this podcast. Anyway, this is Leviathan Smiles. I, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned the Vulture list that ranked all the episodes, and I had mentioned that the one we were doing—I forget which one it was—and I'm not looking at the list. Uh, but the previous episode was like one of the bottom five episodes um, in the show. This is the bottom episode on Vulture's list. Hmm. It's the least enjoyable Deadwood episode, according to them. It's number 36 on their ranking. Interesting. Uh, a lot of the other critical reviews are not super positive on this one. This one has a little bit more of like in the Deadwood Bible and Sappenwald's reviews, there's a little bit more of a criticism of things. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, one of the major things is the ERP storyline. We don't necessarily have to start there, but the the criticism seems to come out is that the ERP storyline kind of feels like a guest star of the week thing in a way sure. that's not particularly yeah. appealing uh, to some people. I I guess I've just it just goes further into, into what I like about the show is that I kind of like the ERP story like I I like the ERPs showing up in this I don't their storyline is nothing special to me and I don't think that the thematically or anything it has a whole bunch of meaning to it but I kind of like random new people showing up in Deadwood and interacting mm-hmm. with people. I think that it comes with a few downsides to that, obviously, which is that you have to you have to shelve some of the other characters who've been around and maybe the story doesn't amount to anything by the end of it. But I don't know. This, this one, I, I feel like this one is maybe it's one of the weaker episodes. I have a really hard time telling them. I, if I were to rank all the Deadwood episodes, it would just be a list of like the order of the episodes that I could think about them or something. Like I'd have a yeah. really hard time ranking them definitively. But I didn't think this one is all that bad, but it has some issues in it, which I guess we're going to get to. But what would you think about this one? Well, I uh, I wonder if I wonder if is this a ranking done by uh, recently? It is, right? Uh, I can look it up as you. Well, the only reason I ask is because like I can see the modern TV viewer feeling like this is kind of a weird twenty nineteen twenty nineteen yeah so posted. fairly pretty recent yeah uh, but like this is what 12, 12 episodes in the season yeah there's thirty six total. Yeah, so if you're introducing Wyatt Earp in episode eight it <laughs> of does, the final season of, of 12, it does feel a little bit like, you know, uh, how do we get people to watch this show? Um, let's bring Captain Kirk onto the Strange New World Enterprise, you know? Yeah. Um, however, I will say, well, first of all, I wasn't even 100% sure they were telling the truth, given the way this show works. I thought maybe it was a couple people pretending to be Wyatt Earp. But right. yeah. Um, the fact that nobody seemed to know or care who Wyatt Earp was uh, really took that notion away because I feel like if they had been like, oh, so you're the famed lawman, blah, 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 that I was like, okay, maybe these guys are full of shit. But since they just seem to be two more shit kickers in the town, um, I don't see why they would need to uh, fabricate their identities. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Unless they do. I don't know. Maybe they do. But... um, well, Deadwood's I, not I a can, show to really like. If if they're doing anything with the Earps, it is dismantling their mythology around them, right? Like, oh it, yeah, yeah, they're it, real shitheads in this. Yeah, well, particularly Morgan. <laughs> Morgan's worse than yes. Wyatt, but like the yeah. they are, um, you know, they like couldn't find they couldn't find a bad thing to say about Virgil though, so they left him. Yeah, out. right. He's, he didn't show up. Maybe he'll show up next episode. They they don't. Uh, they're the show is 
possibly trying to like dismantle the mythology of them, but I think it ties into what the episode is doing in a larger sense too. But it, it's definitely portraying them in a a negative way, and it's not it's not the kind of show that does its history by being like, hey, everyone knows the Earps, and let's have a story with them right. in it. Yeah. So I, I think it saves it there. I I find. I found how scummy they are to be the most interesting part of their storyline, really. Like, they're yeah. not very pleasant people. Um, go ahead. It felt like you wanted to say something there. Oh, I, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I think the thing that is interesting about bringing them in, I, I'm i curious to see where they go with them because I think they kind of do thematically bring something to the show because – the 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 two characters who don't really the two main characters who don't really have um mirror images of each other are Bullock and Saul and and Wyatt and Morgan really do kind of represent the like the mirror sliding door version of Bullock and Saul. Yeah, that's true. So having them interact with especially in that final scene where they where they talk to each other where he's like, you know, <laughs> even when I wasn't the when I even when I wasn't the cop, I couldn't resist beating up certain kind of people mm-hmm. he's like yeah that's the that's last hard, thing to, hard go. to get rid of that uh like that's that was really interesting so in bringing bringing Wyatt Earp this version of Wyatt Earp in at this point where I mean the first three quarters of the episode is Bullock basically on the edge of walking into Hearst's house and shooting him in the face in mm-hmm. cold blood essentially so uh bringing sort of a I mean, it's not like a mirror universe thing where it's like, oh, Wyatt Earp is the evil version of Bullock, but there's definitely a lot of similarities to them. Um, the difference being that Bullock chose a certain path that Earp, at this at least at this point, has yeah, chosen to has has chosen to uh, abandon. Yeah, and so I think that kind of helps him reel it in a bit at the end. Yeah, I think that they're a decent comparison against each other. I, I think that the on the critical side of it, I think that it's a big highlight how uh, the miscasting of Oliphant went. Um, when when Bullock is standing up against the hurt the the Earps, it never feels the. I never get a sense of the tension that I think the show wants those scenes to have with them. Yeah. Oliphant's Bullock kind of comes across as um, I think he needs to be like more sure of himself or something like the, with the scene where he's like you left $200 worth of shit in the middle of the store and he like confronts them about it they mm. they all have their hands on their weapons at that point right and it feels like it should be a really tense scene I just I think that Bullock and Oliphant's performance just makes Bullock seem a little bit too um, <coughs> he's like he's not like steady footed enough or something like he's a little bit too meek feeling to me or something. There's not the sense of two Titans about to throw down with each other that I think the show wants to do. And and, and I think that Deadwood is setting up Bullock to be a kind of a better person than Earp is at this point, at least like he's more of the, he's more on the straight and narrow than Earp is like a confused version of Bullock trying to figure it out. And I just don't think that the performance of Bullock really carries that across enough where you feel like there's a uh, there's an intensity to him that counteracts what the wide Earp, what the Earps are bringing against him effectively, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I also don't particularly think the guy playing Wyatt Earp is bringing a lot okay. to the table. Um, I, you know, I, uh, 
And maybe that's just me being surprised with their characterization in this. <clears throat> and that's not to say it was it was bad because I, I I liked it, but I think I think bringing in a name as famous as Wyatt Earp and playing him as um, subdued as they do feels weird when you're trying to have these moments where they're kind of it's Bullock versus uh, versus Wyatt like kind of staring each other down a bit because I I don't. They're not giving you all right, what am I trying to say here? I think if they're if they're not gonna give you the Kurt Russell traditional type of Wyatt Earp, yep. then there needs to be something else to that character that that is a, a bit more shorthand um to to bring him up to the level that you're really kind of like that that deserves that kind of tension, and I don't know if there really is anything. He's, and maybe that's maybe that's the point. Maybe that's by design. But I, I just wasn't, I I didn't find him to be particularly memorable. I thought Morgan was pretty good, but I didn't I didn't think yep. why it was uh, particularly memorable in that in that respect. Yeah, he has to play more of the straight man to Morgan's uh, wild eye wild eyed lunatic. Um, there was a post on but, the the Reddit, the Reddit of Deadwood is just. Um, it's a picture of Morgan Earp with a, he's doing that like tongue thing when he's looking at Bullock and it just oh, yeah. it, the caption is just insane <laughs> fucking person, <laughs> which yeah. is what Swearingen called uh, Bullock in that prior episode. Yeah, I just don't think I I don't think that that Wyatt is I'm not getting that like quiet intensity coming off of him the way yep. that I think they might want it to. Um, and so I don't know I don't know if that's not if maybe it's just a, a a matter of double miscasting. Yeah. <clears throat> Myself and him over there, my strong right arm, along with Tom Noddall, that runs the saloon number 10, was the first operators in this here camp. So, turned the first card, sold the first booze and snatch. Road agents, story goes, don't work these hills, but by my leave, which if that's true, Slays while I'm fucking interested in what you're telling. So? So? Go the fuck ahead and tell me then. Me and my brother happened along, and we balked some unknown parties who was having a few shots at the stage. That's all. Ears flat back to the head, nose without boils, fucking modest, a proper hero, Dan. How many unknown parties? Two, or maybe three. A what removed from you? hundred feet and more. Describe them. Yeah, they broke off. We returned fire. Describe them. My meaning would be them firing. I didn't get a good fucking look at them. I'd also say you're fucking free with your reprehending tone. So I, I think that the reason... Well, there's one of, before I get to like the continuation off of that point, I think that one, one of the things I really do like about the Earps in this one is that they, uh, they, they do manage to get wide in the scene where he's talking to Al and it's a great callback. One of my favorite Al scenes continues to be the, uh, the one in like the second episode when he's talking to Persimmon Phil about what happened with the, the, the guys on the trail that killed the, the Norwegian family. Yeah. Is that like keep uh, keep lying and I'll murder you in that chair? Because um, that was a great scene. Because it's like he, it's Al just slowly beating the truth out of someone who's not really on par with what Swearingen's 
intellect is capable of sussing out. Right. And right. the Wyatt thing is the same way, which is that L does the same exact thing, which is that he gets Wyatt to basically talk himself into contortions and he and Swearingen figures out that the story is bullshit that they've been talking about. And yeah. I think that the what they're I think what the show is trying to do when it when it ties into the larger theme with the Earps is that it's 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 coming back to this idea that has always been there since the uh, the beginning and it's the um the lie agreed upon story which is that like a lot of society and like business and enterprises and towns and religion and stuff is just this like collaborative imagination that's going on mm. like people are sort of telling stories about things and I think that the Earps fit into that because the Earps don't match the mythology that you'd expect them to have. And I think that's right. the show playing it. And what Al does is when he dismantles their story, he kind of dismantles the myth of Earp at the same time. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So I, I, that, that's why I think that they're kind of pathetic. And I think that the the reason he's trying to do this performative thing is he's trying to play himself up as the hero. But the show is more interested in the examination of like, what if Wyatt Earp is lying about these things that happened mm. to him? And what kind of person does that make him? And I thought that they, they did a good job of having Al be that character because it's it's a callback to a scene that I really like in the first season and all that stuff. Yeah, it's which is interesting because they're really doing that in service in, for the audience more than anybody else in the show then, right? Yeah, yes, like you, yeah. You, and maybe that's why people don't like it too, yeah. Yeah, because like I could see that being more of a scene if the Wyatt Earp who shows up in this show is the Wyatt Earp who has is is a is a known name and has the legend of the OK Corral at his back and all that kind of stuff, but and then and and going into that scene, that's the person that Al dismantles, right? But the fact that they're not doing that is very it very much seems like yes that that dismantling they're doing is is not for anybody in the show because. In the in the show, Wyatt Earp is just another just a guy, you know, yeah, just, someone just that a guy. Is, yeah. But they're doing it specifically for the audience. Yeah, and and I think it's a, I think it ties into larger. This is this felt like a very theatrical episode to me. Like down to the mm-hmm. theater, the theater troupe scene is particularly theatrical. But uh, a lot of this, there's, there's Joni's talking to um, the fat guy who's a uh, Moe's Manual. Uh, mm-hmm. in the thing that he has a great line with she says does that trouble you keeping watch on a dark place and he says no ma'am it does not especially when i know the light's coming to it um yeah, a good line that's very theatrical too the way it's staged is very stagey looking yeah that's definitely that's like the last line in a play before the spotlight like yeah, the person dim, dim, walks dim, out the spotlight dim. dims down <laughs> it is and i i think the episode itself feels that way and i i think that the um in that in that theatrical sense, it's what you're saying, which is that it's more for the audience being aware that they're watching a play, which mm. which I think plays into what the episode is trying to do, which is that lie thing, which is that like all of this is kind of a construction that we're all doing. Like the thing that makes us human is our ability to use our imaginations and come up with these stories that we tell each other and how we present ourselves and the institutions and all that stuff. And I think that that that's what I like about it is that it's the show getting a little bit outside of itself and it's playing with those ideas about like, there is an audience watching this show. How can we tweak it a little bit? And the reason that I really like it is that at this point, it's the, whatever that person said in the Deadwood book is that this, at this point it's just a hangout show. And I like seeing new characters come into old character scenes and 
do something with them. Yeah. So I, I like it for that reason. Although I would completely understand, you know, this is an episode that has a lot of theater troupe and it has new ERP characters in it. And I can understand right, people. Yeah. I don't I don't know how you felt about whether or not you thought that the Hearst thing had kind of come to a screeching halt or whether the momentum of this episode felt like it was an abrupt stop to everything that was happening. No, I actually thought the her stuff was really good in this episode. Um, I thought the scene with him and Merrick was great. Yes. Like, he's so intimidating in that scene. You were you less majestically <laughs> neutral than cloaking your cowardice in principle. Yeah, yeah like, the way, the way that he plays that is, like, I don't even really know how to describe the way that he plays that in where he's he's doing that thing where he's like uh he's not being outright aggressive at least when he shows up initially in the words that he's saying right but there's whatever it is the energy behind his eyes is just like intimidating as hell it's the same as when he it's the same energy as when he's talking to aunt lou in this episode and he's she's asking her him for help to find odell and he has a sort of like well, then people would know that a colored person asked me for a favor, right? Like he, he has this sort of like, um, he's not being overtly cruel, but his energy is definitely like, I, you don't want to fuck with me right now at this point. Yeah. yeah so, And it also like, I, <laughs> uh, being as someone who doesn't have to interact with a lot of people day to day because I work from home and stuff, um, you kind of forget how, off-putting it is when someone just continually continues to get closer and closer to you when they talk <laughs> and so the way that that hearst is just like stalking up to merrick is yep. just very off-putting yep. very, like especially for someone like hearst where you don't know what the hell this guy's gonna do yes yeah um and i also i thought um i thought they did a good job of of making you of keeping the anticipation of the arrival of the gunman going through the through the episode because yeah. like every every time someone yeah yeah i keep bringing it up and anytime somebody rolls into town it's like is this them it's like right. oh no right. it's just yeah. a bunch of <laughs> shit kickers yeah um so i thought that stuff was good the the the, the stuff with the actor was kind of weird with mm-hmm. the the back thing um but may, i i'm starting to see why you like her so much based on his chronic back pain yeah I, re- I relate strongly to his uh chronic back pain and i feel for him that he'll never uh, he's at an age of medicine where he can't have anything done to alleviate it uh the i i find the uh the langration hearst thing to be another kind of weird story where i can see people not liking it right because it it does something to it it does something to hearst which is that it it depowers him for a scene and he's mm-hmm. in the hands of because Hurst is so desperate for his back pain to go away, and they have done a good job of laying this out that he has severe back pain, and he always has to like lie down and is looking for a reason to alleviate it. Mm. Um, they bring in Langriche, who basically sort of runs a con on it. They're never explicit about what's going on. My impression is always that he's trying to get close to Hurst in order to either get information for Al or to to sort of set up Hurst for something down the line. Yeah, I wasn't totally sure what was going on like i knew obviously whatever he was going to do was going to be bullshit but i I didn't know what his his end game was i don't think he has one the only thing that they get out of it is they kind of they kind of embarrass him at the end right when when they're waving to him from across the way and it's clear that langrish knows swearingen and it's that's like revealed to him and hearst is sort of like putting the uh 
the dots together. But the scene itself is another example of just like in the way that Wyatt Earp's story is a deconstruction of what his myth is supposed to be. Lang Grish is doing the same version of like a medical story that he's telling. Like Hearst is so desperate for pain relief that he's willing to buy this sort of like cockamamie, you know, solution to the problem. And he he buys into that in the same way that people buy into the myth of the Earp brothers and stuff. And I think it's it's just another storyline that's going along the lines of like people are gonna buy into these constructions that we assemble and show each other and like how a lot of interactions are kind of bullshit between people. It's like you can't really tell what the intentions of someone are when they're telling you something that you want to hear and you're buying into mm-hmm. a different version of the story. And so it, it, it's maybe not a super effective, memorable plot line that people are going to say is one of the top scenes in Deadwood when Hearst gets his back massage from Langrish. But <laughs> I think it works in the context of the, at the episode itself. And it gives, I like the moment at the end where he's like, Mr. Hearst, and then he, he does like the me and him pointing between swearing. Yeah. He's like, old friends, <laughs> old friends. If I was Al, I would have turned to Langrish and be like, there's a good chance he kills you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, also though, like uh, any any reason, if, if you have Brian Cox and uh, what's his name, McGraney? Yeah, uh, yeah, Gerald McGraney. Gerald McGraney. If you have them both in your cast and you don't put them in a scene together, especially with McGraney uh, just hitting threes every scene he's in yeah probably you got to find an excuse to put them together yeah and and they did in this one i think it's the first time they it is the first time because they introduced each other to uh, each other or they introduced themselves to each other yeah uh did you other than like the other theater troupe exercise is the death of chesterfield i think is i think his name is like chesterfield or something um Mm -hmm. chesterton is his name uh, which who I am not exactly clear what his role is in the theater troupe or what he what he does, um, but he, he dies it, in this episode. Is he supposed to be the producer? Because it felt like it was a matter of him. He keeps calling Jack the producer, doesn't? Well, is that the handoff I, that he's? That's doing? what I was thinking. Yeah. It was some sort of like handoff. He could um, be, but he has very I, actorly if, vibes about him. You know, uh, you know, just start off as an actor, like Lane Grish. He, right, he yeah. was an actor first. Or Patrick and Stewart rises up. Yeah. yeah, or uh, I mean, William Shakespeare. He was yeah. uh, an actor before he was a writer, if he even existed in the way that we believe him to exist. Uh, well, we got some King or, Lear in or this was episode. He really, yeah. yeah, or was he really five people? <laughs> right. <laughs> was he an AI construct? Was he Sid 6.7? Another virtuosity yeah. reference, Clay, and you didn't like that movie, but it fits into everything. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I uh, I will be honest. When Chesterton started to die, I also started to fall asleep. Like okay. I, I felt I felt it was a very <laughs> um, identifiable scene because as he started to nod off, I was like right there with him, yep. listening to Brian Cox lull me into death. Um, <laughs> but that was yeah that that stuff is uh, you know I I, I guess it's. You know, it works two ways in the themes that you're talking about, right? Because, like, the last thing that they're doing is it's Langriche lying to him. Well, they're both... They're acting. Cho- they're pretending. They're acting. They're yeah. choosing to believe that they are on stage, yep. you know. And then the the really interesting thing is what happens after that, which is the other people of the acting troupe walk out of the shadows like the audience. Yes, yeah. Yeah. which was, was pretty interesting. So Yeah. Claudia and the Countess have embroidered the tabs in gold. Thalia and Melpemony. 
appeal thy tomasks. Thin damn thin jack, comedy and tragedy. The curtain rises. The stage is set before us. What's the rake? Eighteen to one, old trooper. Mm. Dost thou know, Dover? There is a cliff whose high, unbending head looks fearfully on the confined deep. Bring me but to the brim of it, and from that place I shall no leading need. Here's the fly tower. If you mount up, take firm a rail in each hand, Boost your bum, darling. Here's the place. How fearful and dizzy it is to cast one's eyes so low. Set me where you stand. Let go my hand. You are now within a foot. Line. No, I, it's uh, it's what you're sort of hinting at. It's, that's exactly what I think it is. It's, it's another scene that is saying that life is basically acting. Like there's a there's a sense that like th- these guys are living the way that they wanted to live, and they're being truthful about the way that they're living by knowing that they're actors in a play. It's it's the Shakespeare, um, all the world's indeed a stage, sort of literalized yeah, for that's them. That's Rush, I believe. But it's Shake- isn't it Shakespeare? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, I know. You had me worried there for a second. <laughs> uh, you don't remember the, the second quatrain <laughs> where Shakespeare talks about how living in the limelight is <laughs> the, the, un- <laughs> <laughs> the modern day warrior, mean, mean yeah. stride. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's all there in the Bill, original text. Bill, who's this Tom Sawyer fellow you keep writing about? <laughs> Yeah, no. Shakespeare. Shakespeare wasn't influenced by uh, Ayn Rand at that point. I don't think we, we haven't talked about like Rush. Rush is always Rush is such a weird. Uh, Parrot was such a weird uh, lyricist. Like mm. I, I have a real problem with Rush lyrics. Um, but we don't have to get into that now. I think it's on. I Patreon find them no. We're we're get we're getting into it. I find them endlessly fascinating because basically every song that's not about like 
the future or a, a planet mm-hmm. is about how much Neil Peart doesn't like other yeah, people. Doesn't, doesn't like me popular in, in, a, in a semi-popular, semi-cultish uh, band. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, he's. I, I think is he's too. Uh, I find I find his lyrically. I find him like too. He he writes lyrics the way that he drums, which is that it's like and, okay. Yeah. He, he, if you've ever watched Pear drum, he does not look like his body was built for drumming. Like it looks uncomfortable. Sure. So he he yeah. doesn't have a he doesn't have a smooth physicality that a lot of like really great drummers had. He really looks like he's working. And his lyrics are like he's really working to to get something here. Like he's <laughs> his word choice is a little bit off. It's like clunky. It's not particularly poetic. It, it's poetic, but it's very. What are you talking blunt. about? If you choose, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Come on, man, that's great. <laughs> I just find I him. Do, I do really like that line. That's a good line. It man. is a good line. He's he's very angular. Uh, he's, he's very like Amy hates the trees song. Oh I, yeah, I that kind, one's a little on the nose, but well, yeah. I, I find that's all of his songs are kind of like that. It's mm-hmm. it's like I I kind of think it's clever, but at the same time I'm like this is fucking stupid. <laughs> or is like, it at twenty? Is it twenty one twelve that has that big like eight minute intro, and then the first line is and the meek shall inherit the earth. It's like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 new. Uh, Pert, I suppose. Tragically, no longer with us. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll have a Patreon about about Rush. But yeah, sorry, I was just the uh, the theater troupe is that the theater troupe is um twenty one twelve is long enough. We could probably get a season out of covering it. I know. Yeah, we'd have to break it. I only like the one part of it of twenty one. I like the Temples of Syrinx. That's the only song that I'm like. Oh, oh yeah, it's a good song. You don't like the twelve minutes? That's just a person discovering the concept of the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> that's me every time i listen to a rush album clay um things i'd never heard before yeah but the, the, uh if if you think if you i think if you think anything if you are wondering about the theater troupe i think that this episode and the next episode are kind of the summation of what the theater troupe represents in this season mm-hmm. so i don't know if if you've been impressed by them or thought that they've been a colossal are they are they better or worse than the uh miss isrenhausen storyline from the second season I think it's better. Okay. I, and I and I think that's 90% Brian Cox. Yep. <clears throat> because like at least the Isrenhausen stuff kind of had a point sort of like if if you wanted to talk about how it let's put it this way. At least it involved a main character from the show in some respect. Yep. yep. Whereas this feels very separate from everything else. Like it does not feel like it's part of the same show. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree. I, I don't mind them. I, I find the, I thought the death scene with Chesterton was kind of touching. I liked the it idea. It is. I, yeah. I, I like the idea yeah. that they're using King Lear, um, as a representation. They're acting out the relationship that they have through King Lear, uh, which is, I guess it's. I don't really know. I had to look this up, but it's about someone being led uh, up to a high cliff to kill themselves, and that's what end. That's what ends Chesterton's life is when he finishes that. I like it. I like that his final words are line, like he's looking for yes. the line. Yep. Um, yeah, and I, I, what you were saying, that the, the actors coming out of the shadows of the audience at the end of it is a nice uh, touch. And I, I think it, it fits thematically into a... I really like the Milch focus on um, this idea of the, the construct of ideas. And the, like it's a... Uh, 
if you've ever read like Naval, Yuval Noah Harari, I think he had that famous Sapiens book a couple years ago. Mm. He's big into that kind of idea. Like, you know, humans are special because we have this language and we've allowed ourselves to create imaginary things that we then put value into and we sort of treat with great respect and it, like it binds us in a certain way. Like everyone buys into like the money. Lie. Money is the good example of it. Yeah. Um, you know, a piece of paper is valuable in some sense. A piece of paper means more than another piece of paper that's identical to it. Uh, yeah. And that kind of thing. And I, I think the show goes back to that quite frequently. And I think that it's interesting. And it does it through, you know, marriage. It does it through friendship. It does it through the various institutions of the town, whether or not this means anything. What does it mean? Why does it, why does it matter to people? And this episode's maybe not a, um, a shoot 'em up classic, but I think it deals with the themes well enough. And I think the whole show, like even just the 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 choice of setting for the show is is very much in line with that idea too, right? Because he's choosing to make a western, which has its own set of agreed upon lies from the popular culture, right? right. Like yeah, yeah. The stereotypes westerns, of the westerns, yeah, yeah. Well, the the western era to most people is a fantasy you know yeah. what their their understanding of what the old west was like is just a pure fantasy right yeah um and the building and of so, the town like it, it allows right. for that kind of yeah sense of like something's being created here but it's just an uh, illusion for in a lot of ways about what's being built yeah um what's the other story the farewell to kings that's my favorite album that's a good one the the favorite rush album yeah that first the farewell to kings that first song is pretty killer yeah, for, I mean, I'll, I'll either go with, you know, I'm not the moving pictures and what's the other one with natural science and Jacob's Ladder on it? Uh, I think it came out right before moving pictures. I thought that was their oh, piece. Before moving pictures? Is it natural? Is, it, is the album called Natural Science? Maybe. Let me say Rush Natural Science. That's Xanadu? a great song to great play song. along to. Oh, yeah. This is uh, Permanent Waves. Yes, that's the, the album. Permanent, Permanent Waves. Waves. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah, that has, what does that have? Spirit of the Radio. Yeah, that's on that one. The hell's the track list? Spirit of the Radio, Free Will, Jacob's Ladder, Entre New, Different Strings, and Natural Science. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, anyway, it's a dead word. Is there any scenes that we missed here? There's no Alma and Ellsworth in this episode. No. Which is weird because it's in the previously on. Oh, are they? Yes, they're, yeah. they're a little breakup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's the weird... Um, morning after scene with with Jane and and Joni. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Jane goes off on her own. I again, I think the woman who plays Jane should have gotten an Emmy because her line delivery is excellent. Yeah, like her yeah. comic timing to undersell things. Like when she's getting dressed and she's like, "I farted." I'm sorry if you smell it. <laughs> <laughs> and then like when they're leaving, Joni like very passionately turns back and says i'm getting out of here i'm getting my own room I'm, I'm moving out of here and she's like well i'm not i never lived here yeah. see ya <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's yeah. just she's so good she is yeah she is good robin robin weigert i think her name is yeah 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 she's she is very strong i have to mention another random factoid that um Shaughnessy, who owns that boarding house that they're staying at, is mm -hmm. Tim Driscoll from season one, which I did not make the oh, connection. Oh, is he really? Yeah. No so kidding. That's, that's yeah. an interesting connection that I didn't realize. Uh, the other people who are in, uh, I guess we can talk about Od So Od Odell is gone at this point. 
I don't know if there's much more to say about that, but Odell has left to go meet with Hearst's man in New York. Um, and I guess that more easily ties us into um, the general who is trying to leave the camp um, and Steve is being horrible to him. And then as in an attempt to keep the general around in the way that Steve actually wants him to stick around with him because he's lonely, uh, his loneliness yeah. like overpowers his bigotry. He tries to de-shoe the general's horse and he gets kicked in the head and is now basically comatose, uh, yeah. still alive, but non-functional and basically brain dead. And um, the general uh, is going to take care of him. Uh, is the implication at the end of this where he throws food at him at first. And then he later on in the later scene is sitting there looking at the, the food covered covering Steve's face. And he starts to feel sad for him and wipes it off and just looks at him sort of like, well, what the fuck are you going to do? So did you think yeah. about that storyline? Any, anything interesting there? Did you expect the, the, uh, the quote unquote death of Steve? I felt it coming <clears throat> after he got kicked in the crotch. I was like, this, I feel like, once he started going for the, the horse's shoe, I'm like, there's always no way bad. This, yeah, always yeah, bad. There's no thing. way this, this ends well. Um, <clears throat> I do find the interesting thing about Steve is that I, I feel like he and, and Jane are written in very similar ways. Um, <clears throat> for instance, like, there's the scene where Steve is yelling at, at the general about the fact that he's leaving, and, and he, he says... Uh, he goes into the thing about he would never put his name on the sign because he's, he'll never be equal. Yeah, the, people people uh, see them as equals if their names are both on the sign. Right, and then he comes back and he says, like, even if I did, let's say, put your name on the yeah. sign, <laughs> that wouldn't mean anything. And it's like we'd still Steve's know the way truth. of... Yeah, we'd still yeah, know the it's, truth. Yeah. It's Steve's way of, like, basically offering him a job and asking <laughs> yeah. him to stay, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. But he's such a dickhead that he can't just come out and say it. And I feel like Jane has has very similar dialogue like that sometimes where yes, yeah. she kind of like the things that she wants are are hidden inside of insults and 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 weird rhyming yeah, ways she, of saying things. Yeah, she'll always be asking someone like Charlie if he's going to go somewhere and if he gives an answer, she'll then insult him to make it seem like she doesn't care about where he's off to. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's and then she'll be like, and even if you did go and you happened to see my sister, would and I wouldn't tell you to say anything <laughs> on my behalf, you know, that kind yes, of thing. Yeah. yeah, so Steve gets taken out of this one. Um, Steve is one of my, like I, Steve's a truly reprehensible character, but I, I've really enjoyed him this rewatch. I think that he, yeah, he's, he's good. He's, he's a, it's a terrific performance coupled with a really like one of those characters that's just so fucking annoying that it like, it just really gets to you. And he's, um, I, I think that he has an interesting amount of like depth to his characterization. Like, I think that they did a good enough job of, of giving him at least enough of a little bit of a backstory that you kind of understand where he's coming from, even though you disagree with him. He's not, he's not just mm -hmm. a racist guy who's sitting at the bar uh, for no reason. Um, and is, it's a, the active performance is, ter is terrific. And he, Milch gave him some excellent lines, I think. Don't think you was offered a job here last night. Gauging the fucking level you'd fucking presume to was all that was. Maybe you declined because you thought you ought to be partners in the fucking business. Name on the signage like a human's. Or God hadn't set man apart from the fucking beasts. I got an errand. Then I'm going to San Francisco. We will never be equal. Sign or fucking no. 
And if I agreed to your name on the sandwich, we would know the fucking truth still. Fucking nigger bastard! She wouldn't leave without my consent. I, I, I think it's funny that even he thinks everyone's out to get him even the horses yes yeah you know yeah like the when he's he talking st- when he horse. starts yeah when he starts talking to the horse about like ah that's exactly what you would do you <laughs> son of a bitch i'm like okay he's no a, there's no helping this guy no he's a he's a he's a man uh of his his word did you what did you think about the the ending uh with the general in this one where he wipes off his face after he threw the food at him uh, I thought that was nice. Yeah, I, like <clears throat> I, um, the general is is a real fascinating character because he is always seems like he's trying to make sure that he's one step ahead of everything and try to get out before somebody can get him. Yeah, and to see him kind of break. Uh, that characteristic, especially for someone like Steve, who is just, uh, you know, it's been, has not been helpful to him whatsoever. Yeah, no one, yeah. no one would would blame the general if he just fucking left. You know, like there's yeah. there's no no reason why he needs to stick around and take care of this guy. But you know, yeah, I, I think it's him being literally helpless. I think kind of just is the literalization of Steve's inner helplessness yeah his his inner need for at a point where he can't refuse or he can't insult the general it actually becomes a relationship at that point you know it's like yeah he um he can't counteract with his venom and so there is no negativity that stops them from being in a uh, like a, a mutual sort of understanding of a relationship or something like that yeah, I, I'm always uh, I always a little bit misremember it. I always, when it happens and the general goes in and finds him, I always think that there's going to be something of like blaming him, you know, like that he hit him with a shovel or something like that, you know, like. But they they don't do that. He goes and gets the doc and he looks at him. He doesn't try to run away or anything, thinking yeah. that he would blame him. Um, yeah, there's that story. I like the uh, I like the bullocks having their marital. Uh, marital strife when Bullock is upset about the meeting that he had and the state of his letter and uh, he's taking it out on Martha who's being in his opinion too slow to move the children into the new schoolhouse um, but that felt like a nice little touch and she has the fu- the very funny line about you didn't come in with your customary sweetness or whatever she says <laughs> um, and he's like I'll give you double the sweetness tonight <laughs> and, she's, and she smiles um, yeah anything else is there another any other plots in this one? No, just the uh, the the bricks arrive. Hearst's uh, men arrive. The Pinkertons arrive right, at the yeah. end of the episode, and Leviathan Leviathan fucking smiles. Um, don't really know much. There's no, nothing else uh, there about that. I, I assume we'll deal with that in the next episode. And before I guess the final thing I have to say is. Uh, uh, I really like Blazinov too, and his delivery of the uh, sheriff is getting a blowjob. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's very funny, <laughs> very good. Uh, anything here? Do you have anything else you wanted to say about this one? Um, oh, the, <laughs> the 
the only thing I forgot to mention this when we were talking about this, the death scene of, of uh, Chesterton. When they sat down on the stage and like Brian Cox kind of like leans over into camera, the only thing I could think of was him saying like, have I ever told you the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> it is very <right. laughs> He said no one had to die or whatever that, whatever that line is. Yeah. No, he doesn't. Uh, he goes the opposite way. He just kills him. It's Can I learn how to become a theater producer? <laughs> Not from a Jedi. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, I don't think I have a... Uh, there's nothing else I don't think in this one. Yeah, so just, I mean, did you would you put this on Vulture's bottom of the list? Would you say, good job, writer, in 2020, 2019. This is where you did it. You nailed it. Um, and I guess that the, the other thing to say about this is that uh, I, I'm, I guess I'm curious about your opinion as well. You're watching this at a point in the future where you know that there's only four episodes of the show left, right? Four or five yeah. or something. So does, does what happens in this episode feel more of a distraction in that case? Because if you're watching the show in real time, you don't really know what's going to happen with the next season or whether or not it's going to yeah. continue. But knowing the show is ending very soon, did you feel any different way about that episode? And like, do, do you think that the writer of that listicle considered that to be the reason why it's that's, so bad? That's what I was thinking. That's what I was saying initially. Is it? <clears throat> excuse me. It feels like that that is a is being. It's being criticized from a, a, a hindsight perspective. Yeah. Because, like, if you know that this show ends in four episodes and they're spending 20 minutes of the show t- talking to a dying actor and it, introducing Wyatt Earp into the, to the fray, like, it, it kind of feels like it's, it's a little bit all over the place. Right. Not the time or the place that this should be. Right. Yeah. And, you know, if you're watching it with that same sort of modern eye that we've talked about is, is detrimental to it, where you're, you're focused on the plot more than what else the kind of hangout aspect yeah i can see it i i could see watching this going like all right well what the fuck does wyatt earp have to do with hearst and the, the 23 right. people yep. or whatever you know yep. I, I can see that being but but like outside of that i mean i don't know i thought it was fine i thought it was good it was i i think it's an enjoyable it continues to be a show where at the very least the individual scenes i find are are very um enjoyable yeah. and i no, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna no i'm gonna straight up say no this is not the worst. i don't know what the worst episode of the show is you're right honestly. yeah it all kind of blends together uh, after you watch them, but like you. i i thought it was pretty good as far as the way that they they kept the hearst stuff running you know the anticipation of the guy showing up running uh through the thing there's a little bit of uh, they, they try to connect the herbs to hearst too because people are trying to recruit them before yeah the, the only the pinkertons the, come the only thing that I couldn't really grasp was I, I was getting lost as to what Tolliver was doing because again I've at this point in the show every single every single thing Tolliver does is like he every scene with him is like I've got the perfect plan I'm gonna tell you <laughs> what my plan is and it's gonna make me the number one guy it's like, I don't know man what yeah. I, was he trying to I I wasn't sure what he was trying to do with the Earps in. The Bella Union recruit them for that, Hearst. I think is my understanding. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, and then 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 the scene with him and Hurst was basically him just saying like, "I think I can get these guys yes. to work for you." Yeah, yeah, yeah to be right, the whatever. muscle, but he doesn't like doesn't need them. Like even that, that feels like. <laughs> I feel like that feels. That's probably my least favorite part of the episode, just because it feels very um, samey for Tolliver. Like I said, a lot of his scenes tend to be the same thing at this point. Yeah, he, and so yeah, it, I, I don't know. I didn't really care about that. No, it, it. I mean, it. The show isn't particularly drawing a lot of attention to it, but Tolliver's flailing as a character in a way that they're doing. Like he has no power anymore. He's not a player. Yeah. Like he's he's subservient to Hearst and. In the last episode, they had a scene where he was kind of helping Al, and it, it strikes me as Tolliver's just trying to figure out who's going to win this thing, and so he's sort of like trying to just position himself to be in second place right. no matter what, Right. Um, which is, you know, Booth's performance is still terrific, but I think that yes. Tolliver as a character has lost a lot of um, chutzpah, and in the Deadwood Bible, they there's an implication that this was intentional from Milch's part is that they were trying to punish him for his difficulties in the first two seasons. Um, Man, what a... <laughs> Milch is an asshole. <laughs> he, he, he certainly uh, lets the, the actors that he doesn't get along with um, know that he's not getting along with them. Um, yeah, so that's it. But yeah, I... The, oh, the one other thing that I was surprised by is that apparently Richardson can read. Yes, yeah, that's a little twist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he waits for the paper and he reads it in the morning. Yep, yeah, Richardson can read. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Then, yeah, so I'll just I'll say I I would probably say that there is likely a second season episode that I would say is worse. Now that I have the second season in hindsight, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I would agree with that. Probably, yeah. I generally like all the tone of the third season episodes. I like where the show sits at this point. I like how all the actors play against each other. Even, even in a, I never, I'm never going to, I have a hard time criticizing the show for its sort of wandering plot stuff. It's like, cause I, I really, I've said it multiple times, but it's not the show that I really cared that much about the plot at all. It's, right. it's really yeah. a show that I, I watch the actors, I watch their scenes, and I try to like unravel the dialogue a little bit more every time I hear it. And that's where it sits for me. It's just this kind of beautifully written dialogue-based show where two characters are talking to each other about something and occasionally like a little turn of phrase will catch your ear and make things interesting. Yeah, I really, um, I want to apologize in advance to whoever reads the next comic that I write. Because I have a feeling it's gonna just, you're gonna read and be like, "What the fuck is this about?" What is he trying to? And it's just be like, "That's just me trying to write Deadwood." I've been watching Deadwood for the past six, three months, and it's just stuck in my head. Because I don't even know how I would how you start to like write that stuff. I know it's like, it's twisted. It's it's very yeah. It's it's um. Yeah, I guess the best insight is you know Milch just would write verbally. He would have someone dictate what he was saying, right. and so it it is really you do get the sense that he has to say it out loud to understand it and to like it because a lot of the syntax doesn't make a lot of sense if you wrote it on the page that way. Mm, yeah, have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to dictate? I find it very difficult. No, because the AI apps aren't good enough at capturing it. You would need a, an assistant. You'd need someone who's like hearing. I what just you're mean. Saying. I like. Have you ever let, left yourself like an audio note or something, or tried to do like a voice memo? No, your, no, or no. anything. I find it very difficult because, like, if I'm sitting at a computer, I can type basically at the speed of thought. 
Right. But yes. Yeah. The the minute that I have to like verbalize into a machine, <laughs> like on the podcast, it's whatever. But like if I was trying to take a note, it always ends up being like note to self, uh, new scene, hey, Clay. <laughs> Batman <laughs> goes into the car, gets start starts the car, gets the key, starts the car drives away like that's what it, it just <laughs> right yeah it's not worth it's it. just really for whatever reason it just does not compute as as smoothly as if i'm typing no it's a little bit of work to access it too it's not like a note you can just stick it onto your computer or something like that and have it right there it's like you gotta open the audio file you gotta listen to it you can't you can't immediately get uh, you can't get the point of what you were talking about i will say though there might be a benefit to it because <laughs> Unlike if you're typing, if you're saying it out loud, it really makes it real, and you probably very immediately can go, "Oh, that's terrible." Yeah, in terms of like proofreading yourself and by saying it, you mean? Is that what you meant? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like you know, there's certain dialogue for a show, a show or a movie where you can type it, but if you say it, it just doesn't work. Right. It's it's not something. It's not the way people talk. Yes. And it, I think there's certain ideas that if you were to verbalize them instead of typing them, you would probably in that moment go like, yeah, no, that's actually kind of stupid. Yeah, I've heard that from audiobook readers that they realize that they wrote something badly when they read their book and they're like, I can't say yeah. this line this way. <laughs> uh, and that probably should have been rewritten at that point. So I'll just, we can close with the King Lear. Uh, not, it's not, it's not King Lear. It's Chesterton's line that I really like is when he's talking about the, the masks of theater. He says, the lie, the masks, same damn thing, Jack, comedy and tragedy. Um, which I think he doesn't know the with. formula. No. The formula is tragedy plus time equals comedy. <laughs> That's it for Leviathan Smiles. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Something Pretty podcast. You can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. There's a whole bunch of stuff up there. Even if this podcast is over and you're coming to us in the year 2037 or something like that, you can still maybe support us on Patreon if Patreon still exists. Check it out. Let me know. Find me, hit me up, and let me know if Patreon still exists and if you're listening to the podcast. But that's it. That's the best way to support us over there, patreon.com slash the Penske file. We'll be back with the next episode of Deadwood, which I don't have. Oh, it's it's called uh, Amateur Night, I think, is the next one. Ooh, sexy. Yeah, so Clay, it is the Amateur Night, the ninth episode. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we go? Uh, check out the Rotten Horror Picture Show. We're doing video nasties on Patreon this year. Uh, we just did Dario Argento's Inferno. Uh, up next in October is Last House on the Left, which is going to be a uh, something. And uh, yep. we'll be back relatively soon, I think, with Badass to do Return of the Joker. I might see if Sean wants to do like a mid-Kickstarter campaign thing and talk about that a bit because his Zorro campaign is currently up and running. Yes. If anybody wants to check that out, um, I'm sure he's got plenty he wants to talk about. <laughs> about Zorro or about uh, the, the Batman thing? Probably both. Both. He's brimming with energy, that young man. Um, <laughs> so I guess we'll go out. Do you have any uh, any Deadwood quotes sort of sticking in your ear at this point? Not from this episode in particular. Is there anything from the, the series that you would say, like, that's your Deadwood quote of the of the whole thing? I really I really hate to say this, but you suck cock by choice is just such a good line. <laughs> Those who doubt me suck cock by choice. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's so, it's so good. It's, <laughs> I wish I could think of something more, uh, 
um, poetic. But that's po- that's poetic, poetic actually. It is pretty. Yeah. It is a poetic. Uh, well, it's a very. It, it's. I think we talked about it at the time, but it's a perfect little joke line because the shock value of it is so funny uh, to me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Uh, Tom Nuttall is an underappreciated quote machine for the show, I think, because he has corruption won't never breathe stinky on my bicycle, which I think is a very funny line. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I still day to day, I still day to day think about um, look at him striding around, Randy, striding around like a Randy fucking maniac bishop is something that I think about <laughs> all the time with the, the people who walk around outside. Uh yeah, those are I know I wrote some wrote some down in the in the earlier episodes, but I can't remember them off the top of my head. Yeah, the world you're um, uh, you will the wild bill the the cunt scene with Jack McCall. Oh, yes, that that's a, that's a whole string. That's very excellent. Um, whole bunches of these things. I I, I find that they the little 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 turns like stick in my ear. Uh, and they just become sort of like something that I just think about throughout the day. But I, I thought that the uh, the less majestically neutral than cloaking your cowardice in principle is a good one. I honestly yeah, like good. reading the lines is funny. I'm, I have to praise the actors for memorizing this stuff and being able yeah, to say it yeah. convincingly and not stumble over. It. I just read it and I couldn't get through. You are less majestic because when I read it, it sounds like I'm reading like a medical dictionary or something. Right, like there's yeah. no there's no flow to the way that I say it. But uh, McRaney sells the fuck out of that line. Yeah, you got to know it and you got to sell it. Yes, very difficult. Yeah, it's probably yeah, maybe similar to Star Trek in that they don't have. You probably don't want to think about what you're saying too much, right? You just have to memorize it and understand why you're saying it or what the the intent of it is supposed yeah. to be. Again, I I feel like it's kind of like Shakespeare. Like I'm convinced that most people who perform Shakespeare, it's like yeah, what, you're not what internalizing is the, it as you're saying. What it. is the emotion of the scene? Okay, I understand that, and now I will say these words that yeah. with that behind it. I'm I'm sure I, I'm insulting everyone who works very hard to. <laughs> I I once saw a clip of um there's a is a great on YouTube it's it's like a it's a it's like an actors workshop from it's got to be like the late 70s somewhere in the 70s <clears throat> of Shakespearean actors British Shakespearean actors and it's uh featuring both Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart has hair in a way that's very kind of off-putting. Yeah, yeah, upsetting. Um but uh Ian McKellen was famous for playing King Lear. And so he, sorry, not King Lear, um, Macbeth. Macbeth. And so he does, uh, he does this thing about the uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech. Yep. And it's like, it's like five minutes of him breaking down just what those three words mean in what they are referenced to and how one should project those where it's not just tirelessly listing this, the day it's, it's like this and this. And I'm like, I, He's famous. Okay. He's famous for saying the stress of that should be on the and instead of tomorrow. So it's yes. and tomorrow and tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was. It was pretty interesting. But it was one of those things where it's like, yeah. I mean, I guess everybody who's a uh, the, the the masters at any given profession or craft are going to see the details more than the, the people who are watching it. I guess. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Deadwood's a very pretty series, and we're almost done with it. This is Leviathan Smiles. We'll be back next week with Amateur Night. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Patreon.com slash The Penske File. Support us there. Patreon.com slash The Penske File. We'll see you later. It's That thing is almost as good as the Michael Caine one where he's describing um, film acting, mm-hmm. which is very much worth a watch. I highly <laughs> recommend looking that one up. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you next week. Morning. Good morning, Mr. Hurst. Very constructive reminder in this morning's edition. 12 days to the election. Will you continue to show that calendar, uh, 11, 10 days, so on? Assuming my press stays intact. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, too, for publishing Sheriff Bullock's letter of condolence to the family of that murdered worker of mine. Oh, you're welcome. I suppose I should have written them myself. I'd not presume to suppose in that regard, Mr. Hurst, one way or another. Was the sheriff's making his letter part of the public record meant to embarrass or reproach me? I'd not suppose in that connection either. I'm to take you for majestically neutral. I'd make the less exalted claim as a journalist of keeping my opinions to myself. You are less majestically neutral than than cloaking your cowardice in principle. I can only answer, perhaps, Mr. Hurst, events have not yet disclosed to me all that I am. Those kind of events could be in the weather, Merrick. You might have a second calendar for them.